This is Overtired on ESN. From Objective-C to the OC, from Swift to Taylor Swift, we're here with geek and pop culture you can lose sleep over. How's it going, Brett? It's good. I'm surprisingly well-rested. <laughs> Me too. It's been a, well, it's been kind of a crazy weekend, but it's been, a, it's a long weekend as we record this over Memorial Day weekend. So at least it's a four-day weekend. My mom sent me a Facebook post about remembering what Memorial Day is all about. Was it a good Facebook post or was it like one of those typical Facebook posts that like 10 years ago were email blasts? It was a child crying in front of a tombstone. Don't, <laughs> don't rain on my Memorial Day picnic as if I have picnics. Well, you might have picnics. I mean, you just got a new dog, right? I did. Uh, we, we it, he's okay. So do you remember Chance, the German Shepherd we had? Of course I remember Chance. So, yeah, so he passed this year, and it was very sad, and we took some time to mourn, but we continued to foster. And uh, we also, we usually foster pit bulls, but we went for some German Shepherd fosters uh, just to kind of test the waters. And we went through a few that I didn't I didn't love. Uh, the, the whole, like, uh, German Shepherd personality is not really my thing. Gotcha. Uh, too driven, and they like to herd, and they're kind of, they're cop, they're like jock cops. <laughs> um, but then we got this one, and I liked him from the moment we met. He's all black. He's a black German Shepherd, and nice. he was just friendly. Like, even Emma, who usually is hesitant about new dogs, she, uh, she's the pit bull, in case no one yes. knows. Um, she just immediately, she was cool with him, and they even started playing. And so we kept him for a couple weeks uh, as a, like, foster to adopt kind of thing. And then I just eventually, my wife was kind of waiting for me to say that I was good. And I just decided one day that we should definitely keep this dog. So now he's an official part of the family. He sleeps on his back in the middle of the living room, and it's hilarious because he just looks like a goofball, and I love him. He's great. That's amazing. I'm so happy. And uh, what's his name again? Uh, his name is Sirius Black. Sirius Black. And then he has some nickname that's some Harry Potter reference that I don't know, something Padfoot. I don't know. Okay. Okay. And uh, how old is he? Uh, like, I think 13, 14 months. Oh, great. Just over so a year. So he's gone through some of the puppy stuff, although obviously as a foster, you probably have other, you know, things you deal with, but, but it's not like he's like brand new. I don't so do he's, puppies, man. Yeah. I don't do babies or puppies. Here, here. <laughs> I had more of those conversations about parenting with people. You know, <laughs> do you know uh, Jen Kirkman, the comedian? Yes. Her special on Netflix is really good. And she talks about like her decision not to have children and... More about the reaction to that. Yes. I found yes. it I haven't very seen entertaining. That, but She's it's probably good. very much like the reaction I get, which is, <laughs> oh, you'll change your mind. People, it's, yes. it's two things. <laughs> so it's always, first, how old are you? And then I, and then I, I tell them. Um, and they go, or, or they look at me and they go, oh, you're still young. You'll change your mind. Her greatest line in that bit, or in the whole special, was when she said, I don't walk up to pregnant people and tell them they're going to change their mind. <laughs> exactly. 
exactly. No, I mean, people mean it well, but it's funny. I, uh, I was, uh, I, I, I go on, I've been going on MSNBC a lot and, um, I've become quite close with some of the makeup people. Well, close in the sense that I know their names and they know my name and, and we have like an, a running conversation every week or whatever. Um, and, uh, they're, they're, they're great women. They're fantastic. Uh, to the point that I actually, I, I've been toying around with the idea of writing a, a sitcom, um, about like, what happens in the the makeup uh, chair at like a, a television station? Because their lives are freaking fascinating, and and the different dynamics and 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 kind of you know um, family dynamics that they kind of build there, and the different stuff that's happening, and plus the drama from you know the stars and the guests. I mean, it's I don't know. I think it would make an interesting uh, TV show. They probably have to be like very diplomatic. Like they probably have like a code of silence too. They probably yes know no. things. Oh, they know plenty of things. They know plenty <laughs> of things. Gossip Central. Well, this is how I've learned a lot of gossip in the media industry has been from the makeup people. Because if you're friendly to them and you're kind to them and you remember their names and you're in your you you know you thank them and whatnot, they're very nice to you. If you don't, then they aren't. And um, some of them who you get kind of closer with over time, you'll a- I'll ask them stories or they'll tell me things. Um, they'll just volunteer things. But I heard about Ann Curry being fired from the Today Show were not getting the anchor chair and how that whole thing went down. I heard about that a couple of weeks before it broke from someone at, at CNN who also worked at NBC. It was a makeup guy, and he just dished all the dirt to me in the green room. Well, not even in the makeup chair. He just dished all this dirt to me. And that's not my coverage area, and maybe if I were a better reporter, I would have written about it, but I didn't. <laughs> I just thought the gossip was fascinating. Between that and there was a real housewife who was on. This was a number of years ago. was uh, was also in the green room with some guy who, who ran page six at, or, or used to be like the editor-in-chief of Us Weekly. The gossip I got that day Brett was it was amazing but anyway um what I was going to say though is that you know one of one of those women she's really great she has children and she's been like really diplomatic about it but she even she like fell into the well you know she actually had the best line not the you'll change your mind thing but it's like well you're still young if you decide when you're older you can still have kids that was at least better than the traditional thing of oh well you'll change your mind just just the assumption yeah. Um, which is so frustrating to me as a woman because I'm like, no, I've known since I was 12. I, I didn't want to have kids, you know, and then I have health realities too, you know, with my with my meds and stuff. And But even if that wasn't part of it, I mean, that honestly has no bearing on the reality of the situation. I could use it as an excuse and, and make it a super uncomfortable conversation for people to be like, well, actually, I suffer from major depression and anxiety. And if I had to, and I, my doctors told me I can't ever go off my antidepressants and that would complicate a pregnancy, then people would get like, Oh shit. Right? Like yeah. they'd be like, "Oh man, that's an awkward conversation." But but in truth, in in like my truth, that honestly has nothing to do with the fact that I'm never going to have kids. Like that's just a nice convenience thing, but it it doesn't have anything to do with it. But it yeah, is funny. You have to have those easy lines though, the ones that just shut people up. Well, right, and I don't Especially like Especially for a woman. It. Yes, I don't even like to use it though because it's almost insulting to me. I want to be like, <laughs> "Actually, no, I just don't want them." Like I well, the other option is to have a long diatribe that you launch into and make them want to just walk away. Yeah, I mean, I could talk about overpopulation and the fact that uh, plenty of people who have children shouldn't have them. And I mean, usually I just default to humor, which is also truth, where I'm like, well, frankly, I'm too selfish for children. And then people look at me like I'm awful. I'm like, no, but I own it and I admit it and it's the truth. I like my life, my career, my husband. Um, I, I like, you know, my freedom. I, I don't want kids. 
more power to people who want them genuinely, but like it's not for me. But and way, it never way has less been. power to people who have them and and don't want them. Yes, agreed. And that's the thing. It's like I don't want society to tell me. I don't want to ever feel forced by society to procreate because that's the thing I should do. Why um, is that still a thing? Why I, in I in know. a world where there are just way too many people? Yeah. Why why is there any urge to procreate? I can understand I in like you know, end of the human race or very beginning of the human race, the need to populate. I mean, I think that for a lot of people, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you with pets. I mean, and, and I, I guess I could, you know, you like to love something and, and care for something sure. and, and all that. Um, I don't even have that instinct. I, I, as I said, I'm an, an extremely selfish person. Um, but I, I do, I mean, I understand, I guess, that I just don't feel it myself. I, I get why people want to have kids and I get why it's important to them. I don't get why it's important that I have kids. <laughs> Understood. So kind of like no. kind of like how how gay marriage threatens traditional marriage. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, no, it's like it's like I, I get that maybe, you know, like I get that you're heterosexual. I get that like you are good with your own thing. I don't get why, like, you know, Debbie and Liz being married impacts you at all. Right. I think people have some weird conceptions of what will happen if their way of life, their particular set of choices isn't everybody's no totally and and the and the, the the irony here and we will stop before this gets geopolitical is that the united states is actually better about this than a lot of other parts of the world yes that's all i'm gonna say about it speaking of political yes so the whole nsa like phone record collection thing yeah that's still stalled in the house i can't understand how of course it is that's not an easy vote for people um, because you have a lot of Republican constituents who um, represent big lobbying groups more than they represent their like their people. Right. You know, but um, who, and who other than the NSA does phone record collection benefit? Who lobbies for that? I don't even know, to be totally honest. There, that's I don't either. It's um kind of uh, feel like there are some very shadowy things going on there. No, it, it, it's a weird thing for sure. And, oh, and, yeah, I am, however, it, really excited that it came up. I didn't think that was ever going to be an option. And the fact that it's being debated, the fact that restoring some of our privacy is even on the table. Right. I, I mean, like that. That's I exciting. like that, too. I love that. It's very exciting. What, what scares me, if I'm being completely honest, is that, um, like, I don't... Like, say, even if it does pass, like, is it really actually going to change anything? Like, I hate to be a complete, like, you know, whatever about it, but a conspiracy theorist about it. But I do wonder, I'm like, is this actually going to change anything? Well, see, for me, what it changes is even if it continues to go on, it won't be government sanctioned. It, it won't be sanctioned by the legislative branch. And I mean, yeah, the CIA has done just you know, basically completely unsanctioned things for years that we can't do anything about. The president can't even do anything about it. But to disapprove publicly of something like that, that gives me hope. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, the chances that it would actually change anything in our actual level of privacy, they're slim. But for me, I mean, that's what government is. It's just <laughs> things that make us feel better. I don't I don't believe in change anymore. I will vote yeah. I will vote for Bernie Sanders though. Because I wasn't gonna vote at all and why not? <laughs> 
Yeah, but I mean, what if, like, if he's not, you know, like... Alive by then? <laughs> well, well, I mean, if, if he's not, like, the... It's not even if he's not alive. I mean, if he's not the, um... Whatchamacallit. Candidate. Uh, exactly. Yeah. But... I mean, I'm mean, I, I I'm gonna vote, but... Well, I mean, won't I'm he run as an independent, though? I don't know about that. I would assume he would. I think I that there would know. probably be a lot of people who would try to, like, convince him not to do that. Yeah, well... I, uh, I I I I'm gonna go ahead and come out and say that I'm not a, I'm not a huge Hillary fan. She will you know she will be what comes out of the primary I'm sure, but I don't I don't need any more Clintons or Bushes. Yeah, I like her. I like her. I like her a lot. Um, but I mean, I understand. I certainly understand the other side of that. But I I I, I liked her over Obama. If I'm being honest. See, I don't I don't dislike her. I just yeah. I'm not excited about her. Yeah. No. I um. I I wish that she, in a lot of ways, I mean, it was historic and, and important that we have the first African-American president, and I'm not trying to take anything away from that. And I voted for Obama both times. and But in the primary and, and in 2008, I voted for Hillary. And part of the reason I voted for Hillary was because, and this is where after we finish the, this conversation, we'll, we'll move on to non-political topics. <laughs> but part of the reason was I felt like she would actually be one of the only candidates who, if she got elected, would fight things because she's been around so much and she is from the Clintonian school of, of political, you know, gameship that she would actually be able to take people down and fight and get stuff done. And I felt like that was something that Obama hasn't necessarily had. Like he's wanted to play so nice and be so fair minded. And, and, and it's like politics doesn't work that way. You know, you need somebody who's willing to fight dirty. I honestly feel like it's easier for a black man in America to get elected to president than for any woman. Oh, without a doubt. I completely agree with that. That's kind of weird to me. Like, given, given like, racism is so, it's, it's not to be rhetorical, but it's black and white. Like, it's a very right. divided issue. Sexism is so much more kind of not talked about and kind of under the skin that it it affects more than just southern hicks it's you know it's actually something that even subconsciously like everyone kind of has their own like innate prejudices that would affect the way they vote even if they weren't conscious yes it's yeah weird subject but political so no you're right and and it's but it's also one of those things where yeah and i also feel as if there are a lot of women i mean my mom always told me my mother my mother used to tell me that the reason we would never have a female president was not because of men, but because women would never elect one. Are you not supposed to say mom? I can say mom. I'm just saying my mother. Oh, okay. I'm just meaning like rolling my eyes. It was an emphasis. I got it. An emphasis. Exactly. All right. But but speaking of women, we do who, who are awesome. This is our Taylor Swift segue. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love her so much. Well, you know, it, it, it won't last forever. I don't yeah, think well, she she will fade from oh, she our will conscious so fade. mind. She will, she will. But but the thing about her is, as we've discussed so many times before, she's such a talented writer that even when her pop stardom is like over, she will still be making art. Yes, uh, uh, to bring up Sinead O'Connor again, but um, hmm. mm-hmm. but yes. So why is uh, why is Taylor Swift coming up now? Well. A few things. One, the Bad Blood music video, which I thought was overhyped and uh, maybe I thought it was cool, but I felt like they clearly cut a lot out of it, which was disappointing. Uh, two, she favorited a tweet of mine on Twitter last week. No kidding? Yeah. 
Yeah, and that was uh, pretty amazing. Um, I may have screenshotted it and then sent it to a million people. Well, um, InfoSec Taylor Swift <laughs> favorited one of my tweets, so we're in the same boat. Yeah, I, I talk to InfoSec Taylor Swift like every day, which is awesome. I'm not trying to take anything away from that. I'm you're, just saying. You're so mean. I am so mean. No, uh, no. InfoSec Taylor Swift is is in our world as big as Taylor Swift, but. It was funny how I figured it out because all these Swifties started retweeting me and favoriting this tweet. And I was like, this was pretty innocuous. And I looked to see, has anybody big retweeted it? Like, no. Look through the favorites and I go, oh. Because that's how hardcore her fan base is, that they obsess over everything she favorites too. Of course. I get that with Merlin. If Merlin even favorites yes, one of my tweets. agreed. A million things happen. I agree. If Merlin favorites, and, and Merlin doesn't follow me, but he follows you, and occasionally he'll, he'll retweet something I, ret- I tweeted, mostly be, most likely because you um, retweeted it. And then I get like an influx of, of people. Att- uh, exactly. It's like, it's like Merlin, Merlin fans and Taylor Swift fans are, are very similar in that regard. They are, they are rabid. I think fans in general. I think fans in general. I think you're right. But speaking of fans, I mean, this goes a long way with it. This is kind of cool. Um, there was um, a some some school in Australia, some animation 101 class or something, where they basically um, re uh, they they rotoscope, meaning you know, which is an animation style where you draw over the video, and it's just the way the Waking Life and um, um, a Skinner Darkly were done, and uh, it's one of my favorite animation styles, if I'm being honest. Um, and it, uh, they um, rotoscoped over the, um, like for their final project for their Animation 101 class, the University of Newcastle in Australia. Um, animation students, there were 49 nine of them. Um, they were each given 52 frames of the Shake It Off music video, and they produced. Uh, 2,767 frames um, hand-drawn rotoscoped animation footage basically of the entire video so each student had 52 frames to do and they ended up rotoscoping the whole video and it's bizarre and awesome and uh, I thought it was pretty fun I thought that was a pretty great final project for um, an animation class it is bizarre because I didn't realize at first view that there were 49 different people involved with it and i thought it was weird how it just kept changing style so drastically but it, it when you look at it as a collaborative effort it's pretty cool yeah and then they do weird things where you know in some cases some people add like tentacles and and add in like like robots and aliens and what would animation be without tentacles I, this is true. This is true. But we'll put, we'll put the video in the show links. But it's a redrawing Taylor Swift shake it off rotoscope, and uh, it's only had like six hundred thousand um, views, which I think means that the, the BuzzFeed hasn't written about it, which is a shame because it's actually pretty good. <laughs> Do you watch Mad Men? I know you watch Breaking Bad. Do you watch Mad Men? I. It's one of those shows that I will get into someday and binge watch all at once. But no. Okay, so because Mad Men ended um, last week, right? And uh, that was pretty epic. It ended with, and this doesn't really spoil anything. People have been predicting it for years. And then it ended um, with uh, the um, I'd Like to Give the World a Coke um, ad or the song. Oh, I thought it was going to be Where's the Beef? <laughs> no, because it ended, ni- it ended in <laughs> 1971. Ah, history. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, yeah. But, you know, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harm. You know that song? Yes. Um, we used to sing that song in elementary school. And we used to sing it with the I'd like to buy the world a Coke. Was it part of the Pledge of Allegiance? No. We just used to sing it in chorus. And we, <laughs> we used to sing it like with the I'd like to buy the world a Coke. Um, da, 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 da. Like, 
I mean, it's bizarre when I think back about all of the weird, like, corporate corporatisms that were part of my education. Like, we used to have this song about a Pizza Hut and a Kentucky Fried Chicken and a Pizza Hut. It was like, Pizza Hut, Pizza Hut, Kentucky Fried Chicken and a Pizza Hut, McDonald's, McDonald's, Kentucky Fried Chicken and a Pizza Hut. I'm going to stop you there. Right? That's scary stuff. Isn't it scary? We were like, I'm like, I'm like eight years old and I'm singing this. There were even like dance movements. It's bizarre. Indoctrinated. Completely. Fast completely food lobbyists indoctr- in the school. Yes, which actually was kind of the subject of both Supersize Me and Fast Food Nation. Um, a book I love, by the way. I love Fast Food Nation. Um, although reading it had the op- – I think we've talked about this before, how it had the opposite um, effect on me that it's supposed to have. Because it talks about the indoctrination like as a young child, you know, from like the Ronald McDonald and the Hamburglar and Grimace and Birdie and all those – the Fry Guys and all that stuff. And how, you know, it, it draws kids into having these great memories of going to McDonald's and – and all that stuff. And when I read Fast Food Nation, I guess this is like 2003, 2004, I had the complete opposite reaction to what I should have been getting out of the book, which was to search eBay for a stuffed Ronald McDonald toy that I had inherited from my older sister when I was little. Um, it was a, He had yarn hair and um, shoes that you could tie, and there was a little grimace in his pocket, and he had a little whistle um, that you would put in his mouth and you would squeeze on his uh, um, stomach and he would blow in the whistle and he had little balls that would stick to things. And I loved this this doll and I left it outside and it got mildewed and we had to get rid of it. And I had a memory of this doll while I'm reading Fast Food Nation. And rather than being appalled by the fact that like two-year-old me was indoctrinated into loving a fast food chain icon, I went on eBay and found one for sale still in its box from 1978 and bought it. This is what I like about this show is we are just such utterly different people, despite the fact that we can come together on, yes. on certain topics. My memories of McDonald's are, are very scary. Like I can't go near a ball pit to this day. <laughs> I used to name the McDonald's. Like there was the old McDonald because it had an outdoor play pit with wood chips and there was a big McDonald's statuette and there was the fairy McDonald and that was the one that would talk and had like he would tell stories. Like there were stories about how like Birdie learned to fly and why Grimace was purple and things like that. And I call that the fairy McDonald because it was like fairies were talking. And I used to be afraid of the fairy McDonald's, but then I got I, I, I came to like it quite a bit. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. Why were you afraid why are you still afraid of, of ball pits, Brett? Oh, I, I just have these like flashes of memory of like being underneath the ball pits and then people jumping on top of me. And I did not like it. I didn't I didn't play with other children very well. And so I got attacked in, <laughs> on curvy slides and ball pits. And plus, I never liked the food. And then, you know, my teen years, I was very, very anti McDonald's and that never really changed. So even if I had good memories as a very young child, I would right. have pretty much destroyed they would have been them. Gone. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's and, and this is why I like this show because we are so different. Um, I am such an avid consumer, and I don't. I think it was actually reading Fast Food Nation that taught me to kind kind of had me come to terms with that. It was the same way when I saw Super Size Me in theaters, and and I saw Fast Food. Na- I read Fast Food Nation right before Super Size Me came out, and. I think that what it was was that I kind of realized when I saw Super Size Me and we went to McDonald's afterwards, 
um, after watching the movie, which is, of course, again, the complete opposite message you're supposed to get from the movie. My friend and I that I saw it with, we were like, <laughs> we, want, we want fries. Um, but it was one of those things where I kind of realized this stuff is terrible and these companies are awful and this whole enterprise is just terrible. But I love it. I felt the same way when I read Naomi Klein's No Logo, which is a fantastic kind of manifesto against brands and, and logos and like consumerism. I love brands. I love logos. I love consumerism. I love it. But yet I love no logo. And I agree with every single thing she writes. Like cognitively, like I completely agree. But then when it comes, but there's like this huge dissonance for me where I'm like, yeah, but I'm still a consumer. So what's, see, I like, I like brand, I like advertising. I yeah, like, I, love advertising. I like the game. I just don't like effective advertising by companies that I morally disagree with. I'm against the companies, not not the advertising. I have no. I really enjoy, like Hulu commercials. Yeah, a, a good commercial, I love the new Apartments.com commercials, with uh, with uh, Goldblum. Have you yeah, seen these? I have. Those I, are great. I love them. They're they're so dry, and the wit is. It almost seems unintentional, but it was very carefully written. I and the the clear uh, like. Uh, telemarketer headset he has on it's perfect everything about it makes me happy and i'm i like the break during the shows and i i like brands i like seeing a company that does a really good job developing a brand in and a logo and iconography in general but then i see you know an ad for like bp or mcdonald's and then i get like disgruntled unduly disgruntled (laughs) yeah we're I think I enjoy complaining as much as you enjoy enjoy McDonald's. Yeah, and but I just I I, I love I've always loved advertising. I used to collect, um, I used to keep albums like photo albums full of ads that I loved. Like I would go through magazines and I would pull out ads that I loved and I would put them in this photo album. And maybe that was kind of telling me I should I would wind up writing a lot about brands and brand campaigns or maybe it was a sign that said no oh, you should go into advertising yeah which I was I've never done. That, that was probably the indication was that you were supposed to go into advertising but and and maybe someday i will you never know but i just i loved the art of it i love the and i love the kitsch of it i think it's why i've always enjoyed warhol and uh, john waters so much you know what you know. should do is when you're ready for a career pivot you would make a good brand consultant i think yeah i think i would i think i think you're right I think you're right because I would I would be able to recognize the creepy line and because I call brands out on it all the time, <laughs> while also like recognizing oh no but this would be super cool. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I would I would I would take your input. I think if I were a an executive of a company that needed brand uh, consulting. Anyway, speaking but, of movies, yes, I, I, I that that segue would have worked five minutes ago. It would have worked five minutes ago. Um, but now speaking of uh, anti-consumerism and 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 uh, <laughs> other stuff, is that um, I suppose. Are you are you a Mad Max fan? I'm a big Mad Max fan, and I'm a big Charlie's Theron fan. I'm a big Tom Hardy fan, but I have not seen the new one yet. I'm a big uh, George Miller fan. Yeah. Um, see, I thought I I did go see it almost right away because, I mean, Mad Max is. He's always been a friend to me, the character, yeah. not the Mel Gibson part. But no, 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 because I mean, you know, Mel Gibson. I went into it with relatively low expectations. I thought it would be overblown. I thought Miller would have reached a point where, you know, he could afford to 
make a really, really Hollywood movie, even more so than Thunderdome. But I was from, I think I was about seven minutes in, and they started doing like the really campy, like Rodriguez style transitions, and I was in love. I had, and it never stops. That movie doesn't breathe for one second. Two hours of just nonstop Mad Max. It was amazing. I love it. I love it. Um, I can't wait to see it. I've been, I mean, and, and everybody I've talked to has just said that it's been fantastic. And I saw an extended uh, kind of first look thing at CinemaCon, and I was like super excited. I was like, holy crap, this looks genuinely amazing. And, and Charlie's Thrawn is awesome. And Nicholas Holt, who um, he, he's in it, um, he, uh, uh, was the kid in About a Boy, and he's gone on, you know, to be in X Men and some other stuff. Yeah. But he was so good in About a Boy, and I'm so glad that he's grown up to be like hot <laughs> and talented, because that doesn't always happen. Sometimes it ends up, you know, like a uh, like the kid from Freaks and Geeks who he's a screenwriter and he's doing the Vacation movie, which I'm super excited about. Yeah, that's gonna be good. That looks fantastic. But like he, like if you look at him now, like he he hasn't like he's not an actor like like we all thought he'd be like successful. Or Patrick Fugit is a really good example, the almost famous guy. Like he's still acting. He had a role in Gone Girl. He was the the, the male police officer, and it's like, oh, <laughs> not where you, you thought he'd so end up. Though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like Nicholas Holt has like turned out super well, especially since he was kind of the gawky kid, you know, and about a boy. And you're like, oh, well done. He was even in a relationship with Jennifer Lawrence for a couple of years. Like he's done really well for himself. So you, you know who's pretty hot these days? Who's that? Punky Brewster. She Soleil Moonfry. Yeah. She's been hot for freaking ever. Though. I didn't. She's, I didn't even know she still existed until I was looking through one of those BuzzFeed like "Where are they now?" articles. Oh no, she's super hot, but she's been super hot for a long time. Like she was, she had a breast reduction surgery when she was like sixteen because her boobs got too big. So everybody <laughs> made like Punky Brewster like boob jokes, yeah. Punky boobsters. Um, but but she she was like one of the very first celebrities who had that, and then she was um, on the the Sabrina the Teenage Witch show, like when uh, the character went to college. And she's done a few other things, but no, Soleil Moonfry, super hot. She's like Winnie Cooper, who's also super hot. And Winnie Cooper's um, sister, who played um, um, Becky Slater, do you remember on the Wonder Years? She was the girl that like Kevin broke up with, and she got super mad at him and like slapped him. No, I wouldn't remember that. Okay, well, Becky Slater is Winnie Cooper's younger sister in real life, and she's also super hot, but she's also like super successful. She works for like the number one law firm in the world or something. Um so her, their parents clearly did a good job because their kids, you know, ended up going to, to Stanford and UCLA and getting high in degrees. And yeah, good for them. But so, no, but, but Soleil Moonfry is super hot. My favorite part of the whole Mad Max buzz thing was the yeah. overblown pseudo anti-feminist backlash. Yes. Because it, it almost seemed like it was done as part of the promo. <laughs> right? Like, the headlines in these blog posts were so ridiculous. Like, you know, just saying that it it was destroying manliness to make Mad Max, you know, work with women, I guess. Right, right. And, and that was, honestly, that was, the, that was what made the evolution of the storyline so great to me, was they had strong female characters, and Mad Max was basically a supporting actor. Right, and, that, that's what I've heard. And it was it was it was perfect to me, but then this backlash was almost like for me, I don't know how the rest of the world reacted, but when I read those headlines, it just made me want to see the movie. Yeah. No, I mean I think that that was probably not the uh the intent but uh, of those things, but I think that that ended up doing what it did. I mean, it's already grossed, you know, like 
it's been out for you know like a week and it's already done like 135 million at the what box what was the office. budget on that movie um according to imdb 150 million yeah that makes sense i mean there were some really good sets thousands of extras uh really good effects but not in this way that made it feel like an Avengers movie. Right. Well, that was the thing is that it was all like he tried to do everything like with as few special effects in like the CGI context as possible. Like obviously there were special effects, you know, but they were trying to use as much of the natural yeah. um, stuff as possible, which I think <laughs> as is- much of the real gasoline explosion. As right. Possible. Right. I mean, actually, you know, kind of going back to the old school way of doing an action yeah. film where you can't rely on on CGI, which I, I that's I, I'm enjoying that that's kind of happening in cinema where we're kind of having a return to form in that sense where we're using real props like in Star Wars, the fact that they're using real robots and, and not just seeing exactly because I think that adds to something. I think that actually having something tangible for the actors to react to is a lot more important than like acting in front of a green screen. Well, I think it, it, it comes around like there was a while when we were all just fascinated with things like CG fire and CG smoke and and CG uh, animals and things. And then we all got to an age where we started reminiscing about the movies of our youth. And we started getting very nostalgic, warm feelings for, you know, animatronic (laughs) aliens and things instead of, you know, digitized Jabba the Hutts. And I think that it may kind of go in waves. CG has gotten to a point where I can't even tell half the time anymore. I have to guess, is that CG or not? Right. And and I think that, that it's always going to be part of the process. Like it's a new modern workflow tool and it needs to be used. And people are using it in ways that you wouldn't even think. Like, again, to go back to the movie I've probably talked about most of this podcast, Gone Girl, in his commentary, David Fincher talks about all the retouching he did, um, you know, in the movie, including one scene like uh, the, the opening sequence where, where Ben Affleck is stroking Rosamund Pike's um, head and she's looking up at him. Apparently, that was a wig that she was wearing, and he hated the wig, and he said, you know, he had to retouch nearly every frame because the wig didn't look right to him. So he's, you know, spending a ton of time in post-production retouching things. Well, And that's perfect, though. I mean, that's always, like, doing single-cell retouching is, you know, that's the history of film, and that's great, and it's transparent to the viewer. Oh, completely. I'm just saying that it's funny how, like, it's literally going into, like, every facet that you would imagine, like, not even high-tech things, but I love that at the same time, we are seeing this this pendulum swinging back where people are wanting the the Rick Baker style, um, you know, stuff, because if you look at a film like Alien, which, other than the, the, the CRT screens, holds up really, really well, and could still conceivably, like, with a couple of modifications, like, stand as, like, a film that you could watch today. You know, that was done before computers. Right. So all of the all the aliens, all that stuff had to be improvised in other ways. And I think that when you do that, the same thing with E.T. or with Jaws, obviously some of it looks more realistic than others. You know, having to having that challenge of having to make something that's going to look real on screen when you have the limits of not being able to just make anything – I think it's an interesting creative process. It's kind of like for writers, if you limit yourself to a certain number of words or, you know, a certain set of tools. I mean, we've talked about this a lot before about kind of the, you know, the, the challenge of like when we have so many things, so many tools and things at our fingertips, when you take things away and you go, okay, you can only do it within these constraints. It, a lot of times your art turns out to be a lot more powerful. Have we talked about like the grid system? I don't like think so. in art school, the, the thing that I learned that stuck with me the most was if you are restricted into like a, a big blank sheet of paper, that's that's impossible. 
Like right. you, in order to work with that, you have to have, you know, in 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 the case of graphic design, grids, and uh, and margins that are required. And right. once you have those guidelines, you can start to think smaller, and you can start yes. to really work with, you know, pushing the limits of a smaller, finite set of tools does lead to much more considered, much more intentional, and much more uh, developed, refined work. And uh, limitations are absolutely not just beneficial, but required to do good work. Yeah. Trauma. <laughs> Something that we just said recent, uh, in the last five minutes made me think about Trauma Productions. And that guy is, he, uh, what's his name? Uh, Larry Lloyd Lloydo, Floyd Lloyd Kaufman, the president yes. of Trauma. Did you ever see Redneck Zombies? I never did. That movie, that and Tromeo and Juliet were they shaped part of my psyche uh, as a young person. But Redneck Zombies, like it was exactly what it sounds like, and it was horrible, and it, the effects and the makeup were just uh, outlandish, and it was. It was super fun. It was the first movie I ever saw a zombie killed with a spoon to the forehead, and it may have been the last. Hmm. But yeah, he he. Considering they did that with almost no budget, did you ever see Meet the Feebles? No. Is that what it was? Yeah, it was like the anti Muppets movie. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about now. Yes. <laughs> like the borderline pornographic Muppet movie. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about, which was fantastic. Yeah, some of the even like the first um, uh, Evil Dead. Yes, well, exactly. The first Evil Dead is one of those, and I love the schlock, kind of the schlock horror film in yeah. that movement. That hasn't really come back, which has been interesting. I think it's because horror films have gone into this completely different, like, universe. Well, they've and gone into, like, psych thriller more. Right. Than... Right, it's become, you know, Saw, The Ring. Yeah, all, which... I hate that stuff, man. Me too, I, like, I do too. I like horror I can laugh at. Same. That's the reason I used to rent and love horror movies. That's why I love Nightmare on Elm Street and like Friday the Thirteenth. And and frankly, it's why I still think the Scream like Scream is one of the greatest films of the last twenty years. It, it was good. I would agree with that. I mean, I've argued before. I mean, Clueless I think kind of set us off for the kind of the modern teen film renaissance. But I would argue that Scream was the one that really kicked off within became Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Dawson's Creek, leading into the OC, all the way up through, like, you know, arguably some of the stuff that the, the new wave of, of, of teen dramas and, and comedies. Like, it, it, well, it Scream set, was the it one. Well, it set a formula. Like, yes. it created an uh, almost new. There's really nothing new, but right. but it did create a new formula that has been repeated to ad nauseum since then. But uh, did you ever see Cabin in the Woods? Yes. See, that kind of... Yes. Like... Saw is nothing but disturbing. Exactly. That it makes you fear humanity and and whoever's brain came up with this. Right. And and like after like the first after like the second one or third one, you're like, okay, what more creeped out, gross like you know what I mean? Like you're almost at a point where you're like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean like when you're just pushing the envelope of how bad could a human be? How much can right. we hurt other people? It's not entertaining to me. I like The Ring. Like, to me, The Ring was one I of the last... I like Japanese Ring. I never saw it. I've I heard about it. Um, but yeah, I saw that in a bad theater. That's a film that I think you really have to see with a good theatrical audience. You have to watch it on VHS, actually. Yeah, well, that's true, too. <laughs> but I saw it in the theater, and it was not with a good audience, and that ruined a lot of it for me. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, the, the the ring was one of the last good ones, and then the ring two was terrible. They're trying it to was. bring the, they're bringing the ring back, trying to trying to bring it back for a whole new generation. And I don't think that, I think that at this point, horror has changed so much that I don't think that going back. I think that you know, audiences twelve years ago were really different. Well, okay, so that leads me to the fact that this year, well, first I have to mention that when the ring came out, my wife was then my girlfriend, and we had just gotten serious. And she waited until 3 a.m. And I had a landline back then. And she rang my phone at 3 a.m. <laughs> and I was freaked out enough. I didn't answer it. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, this has been a banner year for sequels. And with Star Wars coming up, if yep. JJ continues this, we're starting to see sequels, even like Mad Max, fourth in a series that yep. are better, as good or better than what I remember from my younger years. And I think... That even in the horror genre, that there's the potential, that kind of uh, renewal of an idea to go back to where it started. And, oh, I mean, the whole, like, comedy zombie, like, uh, Dawn of, uh, not Dawn of the Dead, uh, Shaun of the Dead. Yes. Like, that genre, it, it has places to go. Like, people accepting that 70s, uh, like, splatter and schlock were entertaining. Yes. And not just something that you saw in the like adult theater and it's coming back people are accepting the original value of of things that have kind of been shunned for decades yes yes i agree although you know speaking of dawn of the dead i mean obviously the original was like an amazing achievement and and you know george romero is is, is the man but the 2004 remake was really good i didn't see it i i for the reasons we're talking about i didn't bother seeing it but I well, have been told really many cast. times that it was surprisingly good. Well, James Gunn did the screenplay, and he, of course, um, you know, went on to do. Um, he um, didn't he do the Watchmen? Yes. Well, no. Um, Zack Snyder, who directed it, did the Watchmen, but mm. no, he did Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh yeah, that's where I know the name. Okay, yeah. so he directed that, but this was one of his first like screenplays, one of his first big screenplays, and was was Dawn of the Dead, and um, it was it was really 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 good. I mean, it was? Zack Snyder. Yeah, it, I consider it, it one of the best zombie movies of all time. Yeah, and uh, it's one of my favorites. And the and the remake was really good. I mean, they had good casting. You know, I mean, like honestly, like Zack Snyder who I think that he's failed a lot um, as kind of a director in some of his bigger projects, is still a really good director. Um, you know, I mean, I think that, that that Sucker Punch was really fantastic. You like Sucker Punch? I did. I wanted to. I was so excited about that movie for a full year and so let down when I walked out of that theater. I think I went into it without, like, having a ton of... Expectations? Exactly. Oh, man, I had the highest whereas, expectations. Whereas I had- Whereas I had really high expectations for Man of Steel, and that totally let me down. I watched that on an airplane and did not enjoy it very much. And and that's one of the reasons why, like, Suicide Squad, like, Batman versus Superman, like, I'm not really, like, feeling oh, no. either. Ugh. But Ugh. the Man, Man of Steel, I really wanted to be amazing, mostly because Superman Returns was so terrible, and I, again, had really high hopes. Superman keeps letting me down. Oh, Superman is a farce of a character. I'm sorry. He's Jesus, which is ironic that it was created by two Jews, but like... He has a built-in deus ex machina. Like, he can, no matter what goes wrong in a plot, he is the fix. And that's boring. Like, you can't hurt him. How is that interesting? 
that's why Superman is like, whereas Batman is like more interesting than his surroundings. I feel like Superman's surroundings are more interesting than him. Like I think Lex Luthor. Well, even Spider-Man, like, like the flawed characters. I agree. I mean, which is kind of, you know, Marvel's MO. Um, I mean, and, and although I mean, you know, Batman too, but I mean, like, I feel like the people who live around Superman are really interesting. Like, I feel like Lois Lane has the potential to be a really interesting character. Lex Luthor to me is one of the most interesting villains in, in all the incarnations, like even down to Smallville. Like I love Lex Luthor as a character. Hmm. I guess I never really, he, he never made an impression on me. Not like Octopussy and villains of lore. Uh, Lex Luthor was just always kind of, I guess, discardable in my mind. But like I said, I, he, I never really paid attention to him. I never paid attention to the Superman movies when I was a kid much. I had I, Superman underwear. I had Wonder Woman under ruse. Yeah, that's mine were under ruse, and uh, that was about as far as I, I. My Captain America frisbee was far more important to me than my Superman under ruse. Oh my God! So the the Wonder Woman under ruse are they are the photo for um, the Wikipedia thing. This is amazing because your I Wikipedia thought- page. No, I wish I had a Wikipedia page, but they were, it's a brand of underwear produced by Fruit of the Loom Company. But no, the, the, there's one from like, I guess like the 70s or the 80s of Wonder Woman, Wonder, Under Roos, and that's the photo for Under Roos on Wikipedia. Nice. Um, that's amazing. So, um, let's see. I want, we should mention um, the, the shuttle coupon real quick. Yes. So uh, the the shuttle, my my Apple TV remote holder cradle thing. Um, if you haven't heard of it, uh, I'll link a blog post on its motivation and creation. Uh, but right now, if you go to the Etsy page, which will be in the show notes, and you use the coupon "Lost My Remote," you'll get ten dollars off of the price of the shuttle. There is limited supply, and yes, they are expensive because they're handcrafted and gorgeous um but yeah you'll get ten dollars off which officially makes it cost less than an apple tv so you can feel good good about that (laughs) and uh and yeah go go pick those up while they last um i guess i I won't i won't pimp it beyond that merlin and i talked about it on systematic he got one for free he's the only tester i had outside (laughs) of my family but uh but yeah sales going how's the reception been well i mean i priced it at a point where i didn't you know they're not going to fly off the shelves, but totally. it's it's progressing. I make enough sales that we've already recouped what we consider labor costs, and now we can actually hopefully make a couple dollars on the whole process. Uh, but after this, after this stock is gone, I'm thinking, um, well, I'm going to wait for the new Apple remote. Right, I was going to say and it see how that's shaped. Right, and um, and then that's the one you're going to look at. Maybe also doing like a resin. You said like yep. mold for, yeah, yeah. Do some mass production on that, and maybe just make it a little more ubiquitous. Uh, but these very which means this is a collector's item. Yeah, these hands. This is like buying ones. an Apple One. <laughs> I yes. mean, you don't have to say it. I'm going to. It's, it's like it's like buying the, the 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 remote control accessory equivalent of an Apple One. There you go. That's that's the tagline. Um, so speaking of taglines, uh, you're, uh, you're now writing for Mac stories. I saw. I am. So I, uh, tell us about that. How did that happen? Well, I, I, after two, uh, shut down. Yep. Um, I missed blogging, uh, on group blogs. Like there's a really fun community, as you know, that, uh, kind of develops around a group of writers for any blog. And I kind of missed that. That's how you and I met. Yeah, exactly. 
I, I missed that camaraderie and Mac stories has always been like um, in my top blogs. I, I, I would, I would say I have, I have a lot of loyalty to Tua and I always loved it. Uh, but at the same time, Mac stories was parallel in my heart. And so I, I asked Federico if, uh, if I could write for them and he was excited and the team was excited and Twitter was very excited after my yeah. first story came out. And, and it's been it's been great. I'm really enjoying uh, having a, a new outlet. It's and a Mac perfect Stories place is for you. Really fun, yeah. It's how how many people write for Mac Stories? I, eight, nine. I haven't I haven't gotten to know the entire team yet, but there's a good core group. It's not bloated. It's efficient. Our Slack room is fun. It's good. Slack rooms are so amazing. They remind me of like a. I mean, because it's basically. Campfire meets IRC. Yeah, meets meets hip chat kind of. But yeah, the Slack bot is he's yes. great. It's a really it is. good bot system. It is. I mean, you know, they they basically ripped off the Hubot system from Campfire, which yep. which which uh is what you should do in that case. You should rip it off. It was great. And frankly, since Basecamp has decided, you know, to to basically sunset Campfire, um, a lot of places had to migrate. We had to migrate from from Campfire to, to did Slack. Did they make that Mashable. official? Did they officially say yes. they're sunsetting? Okay. Yes, they did a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's felt like it's have, been happening for a long you ha- time. You haven't been able to actually sign up and, and and get a new instance in a long time. And then they told people, I don't remember when, but they told us a few months ago. They're like, look, we're going to start to shut this down fairly soon. I mean, I, I think that they'll keep it open as long as maybe they have. Like if you're paying, you know, client like Mashable was paying, I think they'll probably keep you around for, you know, as as long as you need to. But they, um, but we migrated to Slack when we tried it out first for CES, and during CES blew back blew past the ten thousand message limit, just in that room, sure. and then uh, went company wide. Um, and no, I mean you know the Hubot system was great, and you could write all these cool scripts, and the fact that Slack has integrations, which HipChat does too, and I really like HipChat as well. You know, uh, um, you know, um. Atlassian does some really great stuff, but I think Slack to me, especially kind of the public rooms that I'm part of, um, or private groups rather than a part of, it's like you have the camaraderie and kind of the, the features of, of um, you know, campfire, uh, but better, you know, notifications, private one-to-one conversations, better mobile access, that sort of thing. But then it has like the feel of IRC. Yeah. With, you know, it's slash commands and, and yes. bots and all the, all the fun stuff that would normally be more advanced. Exactly. It they, makes they make very it, accessible. They do. They do. And I, and I think that's really fun. So, well, congrats on, uh, on going to Mac Stories. I think that's super awesome. And I honestly think it's a perfect fit for you because they're one of the few places. Like, I love going to Mac Stories and reading the articles there because I know they're going to be in-depth and they're going to be intuitive and informative and, and usually tell me something be, I don't know. Yeah, they're not, you know gossipy and rumory it's no it's 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 all about things you can use exactly and and that's so your style of writing like i always go to your website and or i talk to you and i learn things i didn't know i go to mac stories i read things i wouldn't know and as somebody who makes my living writing about tech and keeping up with the news there are very few sites where i feel like i can go there and learn something you know totally agree that's exactly why i wanted the job so i'm super excited for you for that this week, this episode of Overtired is brought to you by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Um, you've probably seen these guys around. You know, they've been doing some serious marketing stuff, which I think is awesome. Um, and basically, like what's great about Casper is that for years the mattress industry has basically forced consumers into paying super high markups. And Casper, what they're doing, and this is why they've been kind of advertising so much 
is that they're revolutionizing, they're revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing those savings along to the consumer. I mean, the mattresses are typically like one of the most marked up products you can buy. Um, that's why I think my last mattress I bought, we got it from like a place that was called like the Mattress Factory or something. Where like <laughs> they actually make the mattresses in-house and then you would buy them. Um, because typically, if, you know, you go someplace and you're paying a few hundred dollars at least to mark up just on the mattress. Um, so what's great about Casper is that they make obsessively engineered mattresses at a very fair price, especially for a mattress made in America, which is a big deal. Um, Casper mattresses offer just the right sink and just the right balance thanks to two technologies. One is latex foam and memory foam that come together for better nights and brighter days. Now, what's, what's important to note about the latex foam is that it is synthetic latex, and if you have a latex allergy like I do, is actually not going to cause you problems. So that's something I thought was really interesting when I was researching Casper because I've been looking at getting a new mattress and that's something that I was interested in. Compared to industry averages, which are you know well over $1,500, Casper mattresses range from only $500 for a twin to $950 for a king size. These price points are on the verge of totally, total insanity. And, and I know this because I've been looking at getting a new queen size mattress myself. Um, buying a mattress online can have you wondering how it's possible, but they cut out the showroom and then they pass the savings on to you. If you're still nervous about the idea of buying your mattress online, they offer a completely risk-free trial and return policy. So you can sleep on a Casper for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. Um, so you actually recently got one of these, didn't you, Brett? I did. I, I picked up a queen uh, right before we started talking to Casper about advertising and unrelated, actually. I saw it, and I'd been looking for a mattress for a while. I had, you know, a year and a half ago spent almost two grand on a mattress that was painful and I was very unhappy with after a year. And uh, I I didn't want to spend another, you know, two to 2.5 grand on the bed that uh, I had been looking at at the time, which was Tempur-Pedic. And then I saw this one. With great reviews, much talked about, uh, for $800. So I ordered that, and I figured it's an investment. And 100-day uh, full full refund, no hassle trade-in sounded perfectly good to me. And uh, I've had it for uh, two weeks now. And uh, I'm, very, I'm very happy with it. And it comes to you, like, how it arrives. Like, it comes in this box, and it kind of unfolds. So it's one of those things where for us living in, um, I mean, you have a house, so it's not as big of a deal. But I live in Brooklyn and I'm up three flights of stairs and trying to get a mattress in or out <laughs> is kind of a pain in the ass. And this comes in a box that's delivered that then will literally just kind of like unroll in your place, right? And it sighs when you open it because, <laughs> you know, it's very compressed in the box. And then when you let it out, it goes, oh. <laughs> Which is weird. That's the sound. I'm, I enjoy going to bed right now. I've never done that before. I've never liked the idea of laying down. I know. I mean, this is why our show is called Overtired. Yeah. I've ruined it. Casper <laughs> ruined my overtiredness. Now, are you using this um, on, on a box spring that you already had? Or, are you, or what, what, what's your, are you using it on its own? How, how, how do you have it set up? Right now, it's on a box spring. But I kind of feel like uh, removing the box screen, box spring would give me a little more firmness and let the kind of uh the perfect tension level of the casper really shine so i'm gonna try it uh for a week without 
a box spring. I put it straight onto the floor. We have like an Ikea bed and we took all the rungs out that you would normally put the mattress directly on and we put the box spring in. So I'm thinking I'm going to just drop the box spring and drop it down to the floor and have this very Japanese style floor <laughs> low, bed. low profile floor bed. Uh, so it'll be like living in Brooklyn again. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I think that it, it basically works on any setup. And a box spring is entirely unnecessary. Very but I cool. will let you know if it turns out better one way or the other. Yeah, let us know. Um, I mean, but honestly, like, if this works for Brock Terpstra, it's at least worth trying if you're having trouble sleeping, right? It, it, yes. I am uh, the poster child for insomnia. So this is uh, living proof. So you can get $50 towards any Casper mattress purchased by visiting casper.com slash overtired and using our promo code overtired. Terms and conditions do apply. Uh, so save 50 bucks. Use the code overtired, casper.com slash overtired. Terms and conditions apply. I'm really looking forward to continuing to hear about how this uh, works for you, Brett, because like I said, we've been in um, – We've been shopping kind of or I've been sort of shopping for a mattress for a while. And it is annoying to try to buy one online because I've been looking and I'm like concerned, like, uh, you know, how am I going to get this thing in my house? How am I going to get my old mattress out? What are the pros and cons? But the fact that this can be delivered without me having to have a mover come in, you know, so yeah. obviously I'm still going to have to leave the old mattress outside um, <laughs> on the street. But I mean, this is New York. This is that's not an uncommon sight. Our but Salvation Army comes and picks them up for me. Yeah, you know what? I think that there are mattress removal places in, in in New York too. But regardless, the fact that we, you know, getting one out is a lot easier than getting one in. Yeah. Um, especially <laughs> if, if if we're not going to. I mean, we could try it with a box spring first, since that's what you're trying, and then and then see what we want to do. But no, I mean, you know, um, they've been they've been killing it lately, and like like you, I've seen really good reviews. So we'll uh, we'll 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 touch base uh, in a couple more weeks to see how you're liking it, and to kind of keep tabs on uh, Brett's hundred day Casper trial. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Casper, for sponsoring Overtired. Thank you, Casper. Casper, the friendly mattress. All right. <laughs> so, well, that's that's about time. I actually didn't think I was going to be up for a full hour, but we, we, we tend to do that, don't we? We do. We do. Do you have any cool projects or anything in particular you're working on these days other than Mac stories and, uh, you know, the shuttle and, and all of the good stuff at BrettTerpster.com? Mr. Uh, Teasy stuff? Well, I have one undercover project that is it's NVALT related. Okay. Um, and uh, oh, in there's Vialt a mobile in Vialt mobile in Vialt mobile. Not yet, um, but I do recommend one writer. Anyway, okay. uh, I I like that app too. There's a new version of Marked about to be released, uh, Mark Two, that has uh, spelling and grammar check available as nice. an in-app purchase for just like a dollar ninety-nine, and it gives you all the power of uh, the OS 10 spell check and grammar check, plus it's per paragraph multilingual. So you could have a, a, a piece with quotes in French and quotes in uh, like simplified Chinese and then the rest in English, and it would spell check them appropriately. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's it's taken me a long time to make it work. Uh, the OS 10 spelling system was not designed to work in an HTML web view, but I made it happen. I'm very excited. Very cool. Yeah, you. Uh, you know, just kind of continuing to to do the the standard thing at a, at, at Mashable. Um, I've been doing a lot of periscoping lately. 
you know, the, the, the live app that lets you like yeah, live stream video. Yeah, you did mention you you when the uh, the boxing match came up. You yeah, said you were starting to do that. Yeah, and, and we're doing a lot more of that. And and um, you know, the the boxing match was was kind of one of the watershed moments for the service, I think. But like, I was at a Spotify event last week, and I was periscoping from that. Um, per- Spotify had their own official periscope stream. I think our stream beat theirs in terms of <laughs> interaction, which is kind of awesome. Um, no, and 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 uh, kind of doing TV recaps and and fun Tech Tuesday stuff. So. You know, follow Mashable on Periscope or, or Christina on Periscope if you want to see some of the stuff I'm doing with that because that's been a lot of fun actually. Um, I've had to take selfie sticks to events, which makes me feel like the world's biggest jackass. Um, and then I actually get to the events, and if I can not have the, the selfie stick there, then I'm like, no, I'm not going to use this. I'm not judging you. No, you can judge me. Um, I judge myself. Trust me. But I mean, a monopod is actually really useful. I mean, I love I hate, monopods. I do too. Now that they're called selfie sticks, though, it kind of ruins it. But I love <laughs> well, monopods. A monopod is typically longer than a selfie stick, isn't it? No, the the selfie sticks extend. They're monopods. See, I have a monopod that's actually a hiking staff, like hiking stick. Yeah. And it's got like the spiked end on it and everything, and it's perfect for walking in the woods. And then I stick a like uh, I forget who makes the one I use, uh, but like a iPhone 6 grip on yep. it and I can just snap my phone into it and use it as a tripod. It actually, yeah. this one actually, you can unscrew the bottom and turn it into a tripod. It has three legs that will fold that's out. That's really cool. I, I want to link to that though because that's really cool. No, because that would be useful. No, because I mean, honestly, this is the same thing but without, you know, obviously, uh, the, you know, a thing to put into the, the ground for hiking but because it has the built-in mount with it and then it has, like it uses the, the remote control um the the headphone jacks so that you yeah. can actually take photos and press a button and take photos. Dude, I got a Bluetooth. Uh, I the I think Anchor makes them. It's there. I have one that's a home button and one that's a camera button, and they're just they're Bluetooth single purpose buttons. The home button one's cool because you can press and hold it and get Siri without touching your phone, so it's great in the car. And then the camera one works as a perfect like remote with a wireless BTLE remote for my iphone camera i'll put a link to those in they're they're handy yeah no that that sounds really cool i like anchor stuff they're inexpensive but they make nice stuff they've made some really nice stuff lately they they look good they have batteries they have all kinds of things oh this is something really cool for people if you're in the lookout for a cheap um external usb battery um so lg just released this uh this uh what do they call it the phone with the with spells with a two um i don't know um the Zenfone 2, which is like their new like cheap Android phone, but it's actually nice, high quality, but but it's inexpensive. But they just released this this Zen battery pack. It's like 10,200 milliampere battery that has the full um, fast charging port on it. It's 20 bucks. Wow, wow! I used the reservoir, but that cost me at the time it was new like 90 bucks, and it doesn't not. Ha- I think it has 10,000 even milliamp hours, but. Yeah, yeah, I just saw this thing uh, last week, and it was kind of awesome. I was like, "Shoot, man, twenty bucks for this thing!" I mean, it is like super tiny and um, super nice. And I was like, "Huh, awesome. twenty bucks, I'm not bad." Have to, I have a lot of links to pull together for this show. <laughs> Fun times, right? Yeah, you just switched mics. No, I didn't. It just uh, crap out on me. One sec. All right, are we better? You sound the same, but it's good enough for a closeout. No, this is good. I'm oh, back Oh, there you now. go. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. My USB cut on me for some reason. 
Yeah, that happens. I, USB mics are very unreliable in that regard. They are. They are. I'm about to start using the heel at work, but um, that's kind of a pain in the ass setup for home. So. All right. Well. All right. Have a happy Memorial Day. Have a happy Memorial Day and include a. I think we need to post that thing of a small children cursing no. or crying, crying, <laughs> crying in front of the in front of the. Uh, that that needs to be our cover. No, it really doesn't. No, really not. <laughs> no, it really doesn't. Because that's just disturbing. I love your mom though. The fact that she's like, this is what Memorial Day is really about. Yeah. Children, my dead parents. I love my mom anyway. Yeah, your mom's pretty awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, and uh, enjoy some some good Memorial Day weekend sleep. All right, you too. Get some sleep, Brett. You too. The system is going down low.